podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite Wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. The boys are back in Blitz Month, cruises on. Uh, this is probably, you know, I think this is what, the third year we've done either Blitz Month or Blitz Week. And I think this is the one that gets requested more than any of them. I'm actually in Topeka. And I think this is my dad's favorite guest every time he comes on. I think he's the most universally liked human in all of K-State Twitter and message board circles. I call him the godfather of advanced statistics. He brought that to the K-State world, brought us out of the dark ages when it comes to evaluating football and basketball. He knows numbers. He knows graphic designs. He coined the phrase octagon of doom. There literally is not a better human in this world than the person you may know as KSU underscore fan I know him as the great Jimmy Goheen. Jimmy, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Um, that's way too kind of an intro. Um, my, uh, I've got to laugh because my, my oldest, my youngest son is is a senior in high school this year, and he's listened to a few of these when I'm on with you, and he's always like, "Dad, you need to tell them to stop with those intros because half of that's not true." And I, I'm always, he's always making fun of me for or your intro so okay so uh, so I, I just want to play spot the lie where in there is the lie because you and i we, we we go back and forth because i find myself in hot hot water amongst k-state fans on twitter and message boards and i always like complain to you so i the, the first line most universally liked guy in k-state twitter and message board circles that's not false correct <laughs> Well, I'm sure some people think I'm boring. Or uh, but or okay, okay, but still, <laughs> like your approval rating higher than everyone. Calling you the godfather of advanced stats, especially when it's bringing K-State fans out of the dark ages. Again, you were the first guy who started doing that amongst K-State circles, so that's not a lie. You know numbers, that's correct. You know graphic design, that's correct. You coined the phrase octagon of doom, that's correct. The only spot where people might argue is me saying there literally is not a better human in this world. But again, I mean, there are folks that are tied with you. Again, I'm in my parents' basement right now, which I think there's probably some poetic justice how some people think of me recording this from my parents. <laughs> I, I, I consider my parents true. the best people. So I'm not saying you're necessarily better than them, but you're definitely, you know, tied for one of the best humans I know. So again, like I would ask your son, where's the lie? Well, I, I appreciate that. That's very kind, but I'm doing well. Um, I'm a teacher. School's getting ready to start for us. Um, I'm a football coach and we're practicing. So um, that's keeping me busy, but, uh, it's always good to get back in the swing of things. Summer's nice, but the cycle of getting back into uh, regular life is always good, too. Yep, no, I, I hear you there. And that's actually a great uh, kind of segue to it, because before we do a deep dive too much into what's going on with this team, I have a very specific question to ask you, because there's a certain true freshman <laughs> Uh, who wasn't even involved in spring ball that has turned almost into a fall camp darling. He got shout outs from Skylar Thompson and Van Malone during media availability. And then when Taylor Bratt decided to drop in on one of our Spotify green room live shows, again, we're going live every Wednesday, Spotify green room this week, every single bonehead giving me their blitz month prediction. So everyone get in there, get your predictions. in. but Taylor Bratt dropped in one of those shows and he was talking up, everyone's talking up, Mr. DJ Giddens, you know, he's a JC Blue Jay. Uh, you've been able to see him firsthand. Uh, a, are you surprised he's getting all this love? I'm, I'm going to guess no, because you're able to be around him. And just tell us what you know about his game and what, uh, maybe not this year, but hell, maybe even this year, what what will K-State fans see from this young man? Well, uh, the, the, the first thing is, is I'm not surprised because of, of all the kids I've been around, um, 
combination of size and speed and, and ability, um, only probably one other kid I've coached or helped coach uh, was in that same ballpark, and that was Ty Zimmerman. So the, the on-the-field stuff and the, the size, because I think to be a legit Division One player that, that size, he's DJ's about 6'1". And he played at 190, but he's probably 210 now and probably will push 220. Um, so he's, he's a big kid. You know, I thought, you know, when, when Taylor Bratt said you compared him to Mike McCoy, I thought that was really nice because I coached against Mike McCoy and that guy was a stud. And <clears throat> the biggest thing about DJ is there's <clears throat> a lot of times running backs like to tell you how good they are. And DJ is not that kind of kid. He's, he's a quiet, humble kid. And it's not, that doesn't mean he doesn't lack confidence because he's a very confident kid and, and knows what he can do. But, you know, here's a kid that he was a four or five kid electronic in high school and on all our testing. Uh, vertical jump of 38 inches, impressive squat, bench, ankling numbers, just the, the measurables are there. It's just a matter of seeing him play. And, and, you know, this past year he got to take over and had the most rushing TDs ever at Junction City High School, fifth best single season rushing game. And that was with one of the best passing game the best passing game Junk City's ever had. So he, he had all the things going for him, and I'm excited to see him have a shot. He's, he's a kid I think at minimum can be like Urban and Wright were in 2019 and get his four games and, 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 and build from there. And, you know, you got, you got those guys ahead of you. And if he manages to, to inch in and, and compete with those guys, and from what I understand at the, uh, the little bit of the scrimmage they saw today or practice they saw, he was working with the older guys so i'm excited for him i hope he does well and i know i know i know he will because i know he will because he has the makeup physically and mentally to, to get it done at that level so it's going to be fun to watch him yeah i, I tell you what, I, th I think kind of calling out the four game rule is probably good because uh, you know you also have weathers who's another guy just a new guy on campus yes. And then you do have the three guys that I think everyone is starting to get really bullish on. So I, I think, you know, uh, and, and Kleiman did a great job of this in his first year with those running backs because you had all those true freshmen basically, you know, knowing, hey, uh, this might be a game where DJ is going to be the number running back number four. And this game, Weathers might be running back number four and be able to preserve that red shirt for both those guys. But again, you know. Who sure. knows? He might just start taking off and make it so you, you, you can't keep him off the field. And I think it's just exciting to uh, see a guy. And I think there's always a little bit something special. You know, I'm a Topeka guy. You know, I, I was a big Mike McCoy fan. But I think amongst K-State fans, I think there's always something a little bit special when it's a guy from Manhattan, Junction City, Riley County, uh, any of those schools right yeah. there near Ma Manhattan. <clears throat> that Everyone just kind of like, all right, we're going to keep an eye on this kid. And he might be that next great Blue Jay to Wildcat because there's a handful of them, and uh, I can't wait to see what he can do on the field. Uh, but let's just kind of jump into it. And the first question, and this is one where it's become almost kind of like the hipster kind of uh, question mm -hmm. in K-State circles. And I just had a conversation with one of my good friends, Matt, uh, about this very question. Uh, so I'm going to pose it to you. I think you're the only person we've asked this to, but you've been working with KSO and previewing all the opponents for the season. And it's been a topic of debate that kind of popped up. I think when Bill Conley put out his season projections, and that's really when this debate started popping off, but who do you think is going to give K-State a tougher game in the non-conference uh, season, Stanford or Nevada? Yeah. When, when I look at it on paper, you know, and that you still got to play. Um, it, it looks like Nevada is the better team, and maybe by by a, a margin, perhaps. I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to go that far yet, but I could see it being that far. Um, biggest thing for me is Stanford has tons of question marks. Um, as you look at who they have back, uh, they've got quite a bit back on their defense, but their defense has just been playing awful the last couple seasons. And uh, it doesn't look like it's that much better. Um, th this stuff, tough thing for a school like Stanford, I think it's tougher to get transfers and play the transfer market. And they really don't have any impact transfers um, through the portal. Um, they have a decent, maybe their best recruit is a defensive kid that could, could impact, but 
they really struggled on defense, and they were really, really bad against the run, giving up over 200 yards a game last year. I know they only played a few games, but they were bad, and they were bad the year before in 2019. So, so I look at that, and then, and then you think, well, they should be good on offense, and they've got a pair of pretty good running backs, but they lost a quarterback, a wide receiver, and two offensive linemen to the NFL draft that team from Stanford last year. So they had substantial losses. They've got a couple quarterbacks they're excited about. One uh, one uh, that's been there a year, one that's uh, coming off a Mormon mission, I think. Um, so they think they have some guys. Uh, Shaw has talked up their offensive line, but they lost, like I said, two guys that went to the NFL draft. So, you know, they're pretty spotty. And then you have Nevada, and they have like 20 returning starters off their 2D or offensive defense. They have one of the top five, maybe one of the top five co- college quarterbacks. They have an impact wide receiver, uh, a lot of experience across the offense on the offensive line. Um, and maybe one of the best offensive units K-State will see besides Oklahoma and Iowa State, in my opinion. Um, but the thing is, their defense isn't great, and I think K-State can beat them in a shootout. Um, and I think they can have success against the Nevada defense. But definitely Nevada on paper looks like a team that's going to be better uh, than Stanford and Stanford really hasn't recruited great the last few years either. So they're not loaded with four or five star talent. They really never have been, but in their peak when, you know, for a while there, Stanford was top 10 winning 10 games a year when David Shaw first got there, but they've really started to, to fall off. And I don't think this is the year where they come back. Yeah. So I, I wish I had the receipts on this because I think that Back in the winter, before all the like Nevada love started, I think I yeah. at least again I wish I had receipts. <laughs> so maybe I'm just doing revisions <laughs> history. But I think I was like saying like guys like when people like the way too early like predicting and people like oh yeah easy three and oh non I was just like you know Nevada's pretty good and I didn't do any of these deep dives again. I don't have the receipts, so maybe I'm just making it up. But I think that. Uh, K-State fans, again, I think that's probably the toughest game. I almost think that we're now kind of overcorrecting because it, it was some poster on K-State Online. I, I feel bad for not remembering who it is to give proper credit, but was pointing out that, the you know, they, they played absolutely no one last year. And the last time they played yeah. a Power 5 opponent, they got just absolutely housed. So maybe there's almost an auto, like an overcorrection there. But I, but I agree, if you're looking at it objectively on paper – I don't see how you could make the argument that Stanford is going to be the tougher game outside of just saying power five, power five. Yeah, that, that's, that's a good point. Um, they didn't beat really anybody like that. Um, and they're like, what, I, I, 10 point underdogs to Cal to open the season? Maybe it wasn't. Yeah, they were underdogs to a Cal team who's going to win maybe four games. Yeah. Plus, um, you know, if I look at all the metrics and, Nevada is like in the 50s or 60s in most of them. I think, the you know, um, what's his name? Uh, Phil Steele. Oh, that's who it was. I think I might have said Conley Phil, earlier, but Phil, it's Phil Steele, Steele is the one. Phil Steele is the one that blew him up because he had him like in the 20. But nobody else had him in the top 40 or 50. So I looked at a bunch of different metrics when I did the preview. And, and really the only one that had him way up there was him, but this, at the same time, Stanford was about the same. They, they were essentially rated the same, and, and I just put Nevada a little bit ahead because of that experience on offense. I think they have legit players, so it, it will be it'll be a fun game to watch for sure. Both teams receiving votes in the AP poll. If you needed more proof that the AP doesn't know anything, that's, um, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it, it is crazy. Again, I I think Nevada's. Fine and, and honestly, if, if they win their two games leading up to K State, they actually might be in the top twenty-five. They beat Cal and whoever else they have. True. Again, yep. I, I think the AP poll is wild, but you know, it's created to give people like us something to talk about. So I can't hate on them too much. So let's sure. continue moving on. Um, we all know the offense sputtered with, with Will Howard quarterback last year. Statistically, where do you think K State is going to see the most improvement? Uh, going from, you know, the back end of the year last year, Will Howard, true freshman, no experience, to Skylar Thompson coming back for his sixth season starting at K-State. Yeah, I mean, the, the first one that stood out to me is, is just taking care of the football and turnovers. Um, you know, Skylar only played nine quarters, essentially. 
K-State had zero turnovers in his nine quarters of play last year. So that's a pretty big deal. And then uh, once once Howard took over, um, K-State ended up turning it over about 15% of the time while he was playing. And I'm not including garbage time. You know, an NCAA average on turnover percentage is about 12% of your drives. And K-State finished ninth just ahead of Texas Tech in the Big 12 uh, with 12, 12.2% of their drives in turnover. So that was huge that we, you know, we became pretty turnover rate. You know, you look at a couple games. Uh, the, the one I think about is the fumble score um, that that uh, killed us against, who was that, against uh, Oklahoma State? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I, so, I thought I was going to vomit when that <laughs> I was yeah. devastated. Ugh. So that's the one that stands out because I think one of the things they want the, the staff, Messingham and company, want out of this offense is one that takes care of the ball. And when you got a true freshman quarterback that really hasn't played, didn't have a spring, uh, didn't have much of a fall, that was a big deal to me. The second one is just, kind of goes along with this, but just overall efficiency and scoring rate um, in the numbers. In Thompson's two and a half, two and a quarter games he played, K-State scored 2.81 points per possession, which is pretty good. Three is excellent, but 2.8 is really good. And they were at 2.17 with Will Howard, which, you know, is is not great, but it's not as bad. That still would have been fourth in the Big 12. Um, so they still finished fourth in the Big 12 because, you know, Thompson basically played one point one and a quarter games. Um, but I think if Skyler plays the whole year, I think there's a good chance K-State's third in points per possession and try, probably uh, passes Texas and, and finishes just behind OU and ISU. And they had really good – I mean, theirs were phenomenal, 3.25 and 3.3 or something like that. Um, on Skyler's drives when he was in, we scored touchdowns 37 points. Thirty-seven uh, percent of the time, and with Howard is only twenty-five percent of the time. So that's a pretty big gap. That's twelve percent difference in touchdown rate. Um, and uh, even at twenty-five percent, K-State still finished fourth in the league. Thirty-seven percent would have put them again third behind Oklahoma and Iowa State. Um, so I so I you, just real quick jump in here. I I I think that hearing all this, I think that a lot of fans <laughs> who hated on Courtney Messingham probably need to sit down and reevaluate some stuff. And I'm not going to pretend that I, I like didn't get frustrated with a play call here or there because, um, you know, I'm just human. But hearing all this stuff um, basically makes me think, damn, the mess was able to dial up an offense that overachieved what he was working with last season. No, no doubt. That's That was going to be kind of my last point is intangibly uh, – what they managed to put together with Howard and wide receivers that really didn't do much and really a, a young, inexperienced offensive line. I mean, they, if you look at the numbers I like to look at, K-State was the fourth best offense in the league behind only Oklahoma, Texas, or Iowa State and Texas. Everybody else was behind them in every, almost every other efficiency number. And to do that with uh, basically three-quarters of your season, you're using a first-year quarterback that had no spring ball, and had a messed up fall. Um, that's very impressive. Now, the turnover rate was a problem because it put an already bad defense in worse spots. And so you can say legitimately that at times the offense didn't, didn't help the defense out. But you know, that's like a maybe a 5% or so gap you're talking about in percentage of drives that really ended awfully uh, for the offense with Will Howard at quarterback with, with bad, bad turnovers. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Um, that's why I've always, you know, and I don't just want to be a Messingham homer, but when I really dive into the numbers, it's hard for me to just blast him for last year's performance, given what case they ended up having to work with. Um, you know, and, and really the last thing is not a, is not something you can stat is, but just the number of things you can do in an offense with an experienced quarterback will be in a six-year compared to what they were limited to with Will Howard last year is going to be pretty substantial. And that's really going to be fun to watch next year. Yeah, so that almost kind of gets into uh, yeah. the next point. You know, what sort of formation mixes and play calls are you really looking to see from Mess in the offense this season? Is there, in, you know, kind of the flip side to that, 
Is there anything that you'd like to see them kind of leave behind in 2020? See, I think the biggest thing that's going to change is with Thompson is I think they want the quarterback to be able to change plays at the line of scrimmage and do traditional audibles. I mean, when they stay, say, pro-style offense, that's a lot of what they need. Not only the personnel, the shifting, the motions, but changing plays at the line of scrimmage. And, and you know, I think in college football, we've gotten used to check with me offenses where you line up, everybody's no huddle, fast, fast. And if you have an experienced quarterback, you just stop, check with me. And you see, you saw K-State even do that under Dana Demo and Snyder in 2.0 a lot with experienced quarterbacks. And here's the thing, that really wasn't part of Messingham and Kleiman's system. So if you're three games in, you're not just going to suddenly put in a check with me, no huddle system. That's just not going to happen. And I really think that hampered what they could do on offense last year. Um, I think we'll see a lot of the same schemes. Um, They love the stretch option, two back. They love the run game with uh, inside, outside zone and some of the power stuff, a gap power that they're kind of their famous play um, inside zone from the gun. And then hopefully more effective play action passing game. That's really been something that was disappointing. Probably the first two years is that K-State was not able to get chunk plays on uh, play action passes. When you know defenses are loading the boxes with eight or nine, 10 guys against K-State's run game. Um, Messingham has got some nice two and three receiver combo routes that I really like. Um, I think uh, having a quarterback that can make the better reads um, lets you have more ability to put even more of those in, adjust those, throw the ball more. Um, but again, you, you still go back and just the conversation we just had, if you look at what the offense did last year, considering they couldn't do a lot of this stuff, they, I don't think they did a lot of audibles with Will Howard. And now they're going to open up so much of this stuff that they couldn't do um, because – you know, they were just trying to get Will Howard through games. And now you can you can rely on that. Plus, you know, Thompson got to watch it all from the sideline and, and absorb kind of what the coaches are seeing, which should only help him make better decisions this year as well. Definitely. And, and I'm, I'm going to say it right now, the first Jack Stenine touchdown of his career is going to come <laughs> on a play action. You know, he just like squirts past the linebackers. Yep just a dump off and it's going to be like a 28 yard, you know, play action pass catch, you know, he's going to get right behind the linebackers. Probably, probably a bootleg of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's going to like truck a safety right on the goal yeah. line. So I like then I'm going to have like, like a stroke it. from celebrating so hard. Um, yes. that, that, that's, that's, that's my official call. So uh, this is a question that I dove into because I went back and kind of found some of the explosive play statistics and I and this was something that you know is like basically the exact opposite from the back end of uh you know the Snyder years where it was okay we manufactured all of our drives but last year it seemed that it was basically all right we get a big chunk play or we're going to end up punting the ball we're not going to get points um do you ultimately think this team is going to continue down that kind of boom or bust on offensive um you know, type of model that we saw last year? Do you think they're going to find a way to more consistently move the ball, still hopefully get those big chunk plays, but, you know, basically make it so, hey, if they're, if, if someone's playing bend but don't break, it's not going to end with a, you know, punt after a three and out. Yeah, yeah, that, that great. Yeah, I was just going to get to that. But I think, I think we will see better ball control and fewer three and outs just because of all the different, uh, improvements I think we're going to see. Um, we, we talked about Thompson being back. That's obvious. But I, uh, the experience on the offensive line is going to be big, too. Those guys ha- will have a much better grasp of this system. Um, you're talking about a system where you run a lot of option, where you're leaving a guy's unblocked, whether it's read option, zone read type stuff, even speed option. You do that a lot. You do just plain inside and outside zone, which is – a you know, kind of a whole nother block scheme. And then you do traditional power like A-gap power and G where you pull a guard and kick out. And even counter tray where you're pulling your backside guard and tackle or backside tackle and tight end. 
when you have all these different schemes you're running and it's tough for a, a college offense to run all those things well that's why you see most teams do inside outside zone or they do a little bit of power but maybe maybe more option so usually teams scheme one or two of those but k-state tries to scheme really four or five different running schemes plus all the stuff they do in the passing game so just the improvement experience on the offensive line i think will make those things better which will make a lot of those zero one yard gains stuffed at the line of scrimmage four or five yard gains and then you're picking up first downs instead of you know getting yourself in third and long in which case they were pretty bad at last year um then you throw in hopefully improved wide receivers led by malik knowles you got uh Mater Bebe at tight end, who's, you know, everybody's raving about right now. If he stays healthy, I think he'd be really good. So you 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 combine all those parts and you can have a really, really good offense. I don't know if they'll beat Iowa State and Oklahoma in efficiency numbers, but they could get pretty tough. And then even if you just have your tight ends and wide receivers improve a little bit, you're still probably the third best offense in the league. So I, th- I see a lot of good things there, and I think um, hopefully we still see those chunk plays, but I think we will see more ball control, you know, eight, nine, 10, 12 play drives as well mixed in. Yeah, yeah. no, I- I'm right there with you. So the last question we're going to have before we get into all the Blitz Month prediction questions, I think a lot of fans, and I'm right there with you, and I- and it sounds like you are too, are getting real bullish on this offense. I mean, you you already said, hey, you know, we could be, at least when you're looking at efficiency stats, the third best offense in the Big 12. Um, but there are a ton of worries still associated with the defense. Just kind of give me all your feelings and where you're landing with the defensive side of the ball coming into, uh, you know, the season. Uh, and, and I understand, you know, I haven't been able to get out to practice, but you know, our, our friends over at KSO do a great job giving us tidbits. And you're, like I said, one of the b- best football minds I know. So just kind of give me the temperature check on the defense as we're sitting here on August 19th. Well, this is, I mean, my hope is, is hopefully the defense can even improve enough to be like fourth, fifth in the league. You know, last year, I don't think people realized sometimes how bad at times the defense ended up they ended up ninth in the league in my numbers only ahead of KU I mean they were awful and they the when going looking back at K-State defenses through history only a couple of the Prince defenses maybe 2005 um, right at the end of Snyder 1.0 were worse defenses with points per play yards per play stuff like that they just they really blew up and kind of fell apart. And I think there were issues. I mean, there were some of that was personnel driven with COVID and losing guys to the transfer portal, and, you know, just not having guys available. Um, but they ended up being really bad. And, you know, you look at the levels, I think they've addressed issues in the secondary, probably the best. I think they brought in some good transfers and I think they have some guys coming up that can really play there. I think the secondary could be a strength of the defense. I think the defensive line is in solid shape, even even though you lose two key players, a couple of key players from last year. But, you know, everybody's talking good things about Horn, the transfer guy, and even the, the defensive ends that are back, Massey and some of those guys. So I think the defensive line could be solid. Then it really comes down to the linebacking core and uh, what they can do if they can perform better um, and I think really that's going to be the key. If, if the defense can, can become more efficient in, in stopping people and pre- especially preventing big plays. I mean, we got gouged in some of those games. And uh, that, to me, is, is going to be the key to what this team does. I expect the special teams to be good. I expect the offense to be really solid. It's going to be up to the defense not – being one of the worst units in the league. And even even in entering up to the middle of the league, um, this team will be in pretty good shape and could make for a really fun season. Yep. No, I, I agree with you. And I tell you what, just, uh, you know, average. Average defense, I think, 
I think this offense will take you to a special season if we can get average from the defense. So I'm right there with you. So let's jump into the Blitz Month prediction questions. Uh, you know, August 19th, just putting timestamp back out there because it will be handful of days before this gets published. So if anything too crazy happens, we're not going to hold you to it. We're not going to throw you in podcast jail if you end up changing <laughs> answers. Uh, but we, we want as close to official as possible. Um, the first one is, and, and again, the, the follow-up to this question will be harder, but uh, no restrictions. Who is your offensive MVP this year? I've got to go with Skylar Thompson. I, I just think quarterbacks are the uh, the life of college football. If you've got a good quarterback, you usually have a good team. Here's a six-year guy that I think has a lot to prove, um, that, that wants to be well, to, to play well, and wants to win and finish his career well. Um, there's, there's no reason for a guy to come back for a six-year if he's just, you know, messing around. So uh, to me, <clears throat> that's, that's going to be the thing. This is also a staff and a system that's developed quarterbacks well in the past that have played in the system for several years. You look at uh, the North Dakota State string, and I know that's a different level, but they've made quarterbacks special that were not anything special when they were recruited. So um, to me, it's it's Thompson's time to shine. I think he's going to do it. I think he's going to be a really good player. I mean, and he could be – the funny thing is he can be really good and not even make – second team all the big 12 because there's some really good quarterbacks in this league but if he can be in the top three or four quarterbacks in this league um, that's going to bode really well for k-state this is all i'm going to say because i think you're i think that is true i think that it's a shame that skylar like he he could I, i i legitimately think if he plays up to the way i think he will i think he will be the second best quarterback in the big 12 but because there are a bunch of small pea brain idiots who vote on like, you know, all these all conference teams. They're going to look at, you know, yes. Brock Purdy and be like, Oh, you know, he threw for 5,000 yards and like 30 interceptions, but look at those yards or maybe that Oregon transfer from tech is going to get it going. And they're going to win like two games. And Skyler's going to take us to Arlington. He's going to have like 2,500 yards passing, you know, another 700 rushing, maybe 20 touchdowns. And like, you know, we're going to be great and he's going to be efficient. Everything's going to be great. But because those numbers aren't as gaudy, he's not going to get the love he deserves. Um, so that sucks. But I think it kind of makes up for, for it because, you know, he's going to end up being probably higher than he deserves in a lot of all-time stats for K-State quarterbacks. So he'll he'll have the record books at K-State. He'll hopefully get a little bit of an auto-correction remembrance uh, for his career once, you know, every time someone opens up a media guide and there's Skylar Thompson. So, uh, yeah, no, for I, sure. I, I just want a big year for him. There, there's no, there, there's, there's no hiding from it at this point. This podcast has been always very pro Skylar. We definitely went to bat for, for him really hard on social media message boards last year. I'm not going to do that this year. There's no sense in fighting with random strangers on the internet, but uh, <laughs> we, we, we love Skylar. I want a big year for him and for K-State so bad. So let's get the follow-up in there. I'll, I'll stop waxing poetically about Skyler. It's kind of like, you know, I'm doing my best Skyler impression whenever he's asked a question at the podium. He loves to get very yeah. deep and he likes long <laughs> he answers. Does. And that's why he I does. love him. I'm the same way, Skyler. I love I love Skyler so much. <laughs> um, but if, if you're going to not say Skyler, and I'm also going to take Deuce Vaughn off the table, who would mm-hmm. you kind of make your, like, outside bet to be – uh, the offensive MVP, and for the sake of argument, let's say neither one of them gets hurt. So let's just kind of say, like, who is going to get, like, the third-place MVP vote for you uh, for offensive MVP? Because if either of them got hurt, you could easily go, like, Will Howard or, yeah. uh, you know, Wright or Irvin. But let's just c- kind of go, hey, who's going to be your number three guy for the offensive MVP? I, I really think, and again, it's another, if he, if he stays healthy, is, is I think Amon Bebe could be a, a real difference maker. Um, you, I mean, you just saw a glimpse of what the system can do with Riley Moore last year. And, you know, and that, that was playing with Will Howard three quarters of the year, you know, and I'm not trying to put Will Howard down. I, I think he's probably going to, I mean, everything 
about Will Hard now is pretty positive, but um, the modern baby just you look at his some of the just the highlights from his, especially his freshman year at USC. That dude was was a stud. You know, he was he made one freshman All American team and put up some really good numbers. Yeah, I, I just really think if he stays healthy, he could be one of the best tight ends K State's ever seen. Um, and put up some pretty ridiculous numbers. He's he's a legit playmaker at that spot. Um, take some pressure off the receivers and the running game. And, in you know, when you just get a dude that size, it, it's a matchup nightmare for defenses. You know, you throw Mater Bebe on one side and you should throw Deuce Vaughn on the other side. And if Malik Knowles gets going and then, you know, you got Skylar Thompson and you got a good offensive line, that that's that's a pretty tough combo all the way across the field for defense to figure out who to stop so he's really my guy Malik knows would be kind of my fourth pick I think he's ready for a breakout season again if he stays healthy he's he's shown he's got skills to do it so uh, but I'll go with with the the big tight end first awesome all right so let's go to defensive MVP unlike last year where we had kind of White Hubert in that uh, hey can't choose White Hubert I don't think there is that obvious pick so who would you go with for defensive MVP this kind of goes back to what I said earlier about <clears throat> needing linebackers to step up. My my pick would be Daniel Green. You know, I'm certainly not as confident about this one, <clears throat> but I think part of it is me hoping it happens because I think we need it to happen. You know, but uh, you know, I I kind of equate. You know, it's not quite the same, but impact linebacker play to me is is reminds me of quarterback play on the offensive side is if you get impact linebacker play, you really um, can can set yourself to to having a dominant defense or, or at least a really good one. I mean, just think about Arthur Brown at K-State. So on the inside, plus Green has all the accolades to be that guy. Four-star kid out of high school, 5.8 rating on rivals. He was top 300 nationally as a recruit. So obviously he was doing something in high school and showed something that he had – you know, he's got to be one of the better defensive recruits K-State's had in, in Snyder 2.0 to climbing. Um, so I think it's just time for him to kind of live up to that ability. And, you know, hopefully K-State has a defensive recruit live up to the, to the recruiting rankings they got as they came in. I think it's Daniel Green's turn to do that. And if, and if he does that, that's going to be bode really well for the K-State defense. Uh, but I think he's poised to do, to have a breakout year. Definitely. All right. So now we are going to migrate into young breakout player on offense. Everyone who's been listening knows I'm going to say that is a freshman or sophomore who has yet to make a major impact on the field. I'm, I'm going to go with Joe Irvin at running back just because number one, you know, he's been getting plenty of praise early from coaches and, and other players in camp. Um, but then, you know, again, it goes back to the system. This is a system that likes to use multiple backs. Um, he was the first of those two freshmen to play in 2019 between him and Wright. <clears throat> so I think, you know, that kind of shows where he was at the, the pecking room for sitting out last year. Plus, it opens up uh, a lot uh, for the offense if he steps up. The system does like to use two running backs, not a running back and a fullback a lot. You saw Trotter and Vaughn on the field often last year together. So if they can, if they have guys that can do that, they're going to do that. Trotter got 72 carries last year and Vaughn got 123. So, you know, that's not a big gap. Um, Even in 2019, Gilbert had 737 yards rushing. Vaughn had, uh, Jordan Brown had 380 and he missed two games and was limited by injuries and several others. So, you know, that kind of ratio you're looking at, hopefully uh, Vaughn can push 800, 900 yards on the ground this year <coughs> with a little bit more usage. Uh, and then I'm hoping Irvin can push for 500 yards on the ground at least, uh, maybe more. So he's a guy I think that could be, you know, become that, legit second running back in the system. And that's that's a pretty important role um, in Messingham's offense. And if he can do that, the other thing that can hopefully do is take a little pressure off the quarterback run game. I don't think they want to run Skylar Thompson seven or eight times a game. Hopefully keep that down to three or four. Uh, you, you look back at North Dakota State, um, 
they didn't run the quarterback a lot. They ran the quarterback a lot in the playoffs when it was big time important. And then they ran the quarterback a lot around the goal line uh, when they wanted to score touchdowns. Looking back when I went back and analyzed North Dakota State stuff before those guys came here. So, you know, that combination of things, I think Joe Irvin is a guy that, that should really have a have a big role and be ready to step up and lose. Definitely. All right, let's flip it to the defensive side. Who's going to be that defender who steps up, uh, breakout guy? Yeah, I, I know the safety spot is loaded with McPherson and Yeast um, getting a lot of attention as well, but I think T.J. Smith is poised to be that guy. I just the wasp. I really, the wasp. I was, I was, yeah, the wasp. I was really impressed with the way he brought it, and, you know, and a little bit before he got hurt early in the year. Um, but he flashed. I mean, he he brought it, hit people. You know, I think he can cover enough. He played, you know, quite a bit against Oklahoma actually last year as well. Um, before he got hurt against Texas Tech. Um, but I like his aggressiveness from the safety spot. I think their system needs it and wants it. <clears throat> and I think he'll push for snaps and get plenty of reps because they pl- they like to play a lot of people on defense. And, you know, I think there's plenty of snaps to go around with McPherson and Yeast in the, in the secondary. Um, so I, I, I see T.J. Smith. Plus, there's not a – just looking through the depth chart, there's not a lot of – there's quite a bit of older guys on the defensive side of the ball this year. Even if they didn't play a lot last year, there's a lot of junior, seniors, guys like that transfers. So <clears throat> there's not a lot of young guys to pick up, pick from. Nate, Matt, Matt, Matt Locke's probably going to be a popular pick as well. But uh, I'm going with T.J. Smith. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's that's the one I'm really hoping for. I, I think T. Denson might be one that, uh, yeah, that, I that's on that my too. short list. I think T's going to have a big year. So – um, now let's get into my favorite question of Blitz Month. What is the pendulum game of the year? The one game that if it if we win, it swings the season towards possibly being great, and if we lose, it's going to swing it towards being bad. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't like to be overly dramatic, but I really think it's game one against Stan. I mean, you're you're looking at a team that's already lost five in a row, and you don't want to have all this hype of the the new season and, and you know, everything's changing. And I know, you know, people will say, well, we lost Arkansas State last year and then we recovered to BOU and probably would have been fine if Thompson stays healthy <clears throat> and probably our six-win team last year and go to a bowl game or whatever. But I just think the mentality of a, of a football team um, is huge. And I think this team needs almost really to prove to themselves that they can – I mean, we have so many guys back – they need to prove that they're winners and starting off the season with a loss in Jerry world would be pretty tough. So I'm, I'm going game one against Stanford and, and that's not to say I'll be without hope if they would happen to lose that game and, and that they can't recover from it. But I really think it's that important to start with a win and, and not get to six losses in a row. All right. Here's the big one. What is K-State's record? I'm going with eight and four. I think I do think the first part of the Big 12 will be tough, uh, but I do see a big rally in the second half, and I think the final six games will be really fun in Big 12 play. All right, and then who is playing in the Big 12 championship game? I, I went back and forth. Uh, I, I, I looked at the numbers, and uh, Iowa State's got a lot of dudes back, but I can't pick Iowa State. You know, Good. I can't pick Iowa State. Good. So I'm going all I'm going all red dirt with Oklahoma playing the Cowboys. And I think Oklahoma wins. And I think I think this Oklahoma team of all the teams we've seen lately has the best shot at, at running the playoffs and maybe a national title. Oklahoma's really good, I think. Yes, they are. All right. So who is K-State sharing a conference with in uh, 2022? Again, the, last year, the final question was how many games will K-State play in the COVID season? This oh, one's yeah, equally that. depressing. Uh, <laughs> although I think I think the vision of 2022 is coming a little bit more clear, but who, who are we sharing a conference with in 2022? Um, I would guess they are I think it's going to be quiet, like people have said. I think Gene said that. It's going to be quiet for the next year, but I would not be surprised if there's a lot of movement next summer. 
after all the lawyers can meet. I'm going to say the, the remaining eight and four to six others. And from that group, I would pick, if I was picking, I'd pick Houston, BYU, Cincinnati, Memphis, Central Florida, Boise State. I had to choose with Colorado State and USF being my next two outside those six. But I think four of those six are likely with the eight to form a new Big 12 or even a new Big 14. Um, staying, I think is the more I look, that seems like the most likely scenario as well. I just, I don't see the other big conferences, power conferences adding teams. And I don't think anybody that's left has enough value when you start looking at TV money and $50 million a school at least to, to add to these other, pro, these other uh, conferences. Plus I think the ACC is, um, has a tougher contract to get out of or add teams to. And then I think the Pac-12 is kind of settling. And I think, to me, it seems like the Pac-12 is focused on trying to keep their big schools intact, USC, UCLA, Washington, Oregon, and not losing those schools. So they're probably not too interested in adding a team. So I don't know. I'm going eight plus four. Yep, I, I agree. And, and again, I, I think uh, I think we're, we're going to have to accept money's not going to be the same, at least in the interim. But I think we can create a very fun, very watchable and the uh, a, a better football conference than the Pac-12 and honestly, even the ACC top yep. to bottom um, if you make the right ad. So um, that's all we got yeah, I, today. I, oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, I, I definitely think you're right there that we can be, you add the right schools to what we have. You can have a league that presents a legitimate contender to the college football playoff every year at least one and probably two so i'm i'm with you no yeah, doubt about I, it even in the four if you make the ads you you say even in the 14 playoff i think we are without a doubt positioning ourselves better than the pac-12 and honestly again if clemson <laughs> sputters i mean i i don't see a second contender in the acc that would be better than what we would put out there so that's yeah. kind of where I'm hoping for. So it'll, it, it will be interesting to see what happens, you know, over the next six months, because uh, if, if this truly is the end, my official prediction, I, spoiler alert for the prediction show, I actually think the Big 12 is going to run it back one more year with the current 10. Um, but okay. I, that's my official prediction, unless something changes between now and next Sunday. But I, I think they'll run it back. But I, I, I legitimately think that, hey, you make the right ads. I, I think the Big 12 can be better than the Pac-12 and better than most of the ACC. So we'll see. Cool. Yep, so that's all we got. Um, just plug all the projects you're involved in this fall. Where can people find you on Twitter? And uh, any final words for the Boneheads? Yeah, if the biggest thing is, is – uh, on my Twitter at KSU underscore fan, I, I will do advanced stat kind of box score updates for every game. Um, just looking at the stuff I talked about earlier, things like drive rate stats was what I call them, where I break down percentage of touchdowns and turnovers and whatever per drive, which I think is the best way to look at college football, not per play or yards per game or any of that stuff. I think it doesn't, it doesn't not have value, but I think I look for the most valuable. So I do those kind of box scores on my Twitter, and then I, I'll do a little bit of breakdown analysis stuff on KSO. Um, I also will probably plan to continue my KSO gift parties, breaking down probably 20 to 30 plays per game, where I'll, I'll make an animated GIF and break it down for folks over there if, if you're paying on KSO. Those are always fun to do. And then I usually throw out one or two of those a week on Twitter just to see for people to see what what kind of I do with those I love breaking out offensive schemes and then uh, other than that um, hopefully get some live shows with you guys and and enjoy more Bosco's boys content and just hopefully enjoy a, a nice eight to nine win K-State football season and and getting back on track to where we want to be no, I want the high-stress 10-win season. I'll take that, too. I'll take that. 
Did a push Perfect. for Arlington, that'd be all. That'd be oh cool. gosh, yeah, oh, <laughs> that would be amazing. Uh, just imagine beating Iowa State in the Big Twelve Championship game. You know, Oklahoma has a oh. couple COVID forfeits, oh. and then it's Farmageddon in Arlington, and like they beat us early. They're thinking, oh, here we are, and then we like thirty-five-seven them, just kick them yeah, all the I, way. I mean, oh. I I love that scenario, but I'd rather play Oklahoma in the Big Twelve title and Iowa State go six and six. Oh yes, no, no. <laughs> I I would too. I would too. Don't get me wrong. So I. I, I can't wait for it. It's it's going to be uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait. And of course, you're going to be uh, you're going to be all around Bosco's voice uh, all fall as much as we can get you on. So thank you again for helping break stuff down uh, to all the boneheads. We are going live on Wednesday, and again, all those Blitz Month predictions. We want every single one of you. I will not. I I typically end the show right at eight o'clock. That's not going to happen this week. If boneheads want to keep coming in and giving me their predictions all the way until 3 a.m., I will stay on. So please, please, please join us on Spotify Green Room. Give me your predictions. Let's see how late you guys can keep me on there. So we're going to have fun. We love Jimmy. We love Grant. Meet him at the Cathead. Be nice to everyone except for OU, Texas, and Iowa State fans because we hate all of them. It's time to get set for the Cat. Attack. You can feel the excitement. You can feel it coming on. For Kansas State, the feeling's growing strong. You can join in the action. This is where you want to be. With Kansas State, come on, set your spirit free. Kansas State, our pride is with the cats. Kansas State. Podcast Network.